Beloved, in connection with our text from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, let us at this time read from the New Testament, from the letter of James, James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13 and going on to James chapter 5, verse 11. James, we are warned about imagining we have too much control over the future. We're minded to be patient with all things, all things that the Lord might send our way in His providential care. Let's read from the Word of the Lord, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, We will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days Need the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Thus far, our reading from James. Let us turn then to our text from the book of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament. We'll read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the verses 1 through 15. The word of the Lord once again. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep 
and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice, to do good in their lives And also that every man should eat and labor and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been and what is to be has already been and God requires an account of what is past. Thus far, our text. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, many of us hope for a life in which things will get better and better. We hope for a life in which our wealth will be continually increasing, our family regularly growing, our skills constantly improving. We hope for an overall existence which is marked with with constant progress in different ways. When we're young, many of us uh, envision a a life for ourselves where we'll go from one job to the next, each better than the last. We envision starting out renting a, a small place at the beginning perhaps, but, but then getting to move on one day to a, to a bigger place, and then still a, a bigger one down the road. Perhaps we envision getting married and, and having a, a growing family, seeing our children grow up and then, and then get married, and then getting to welcome grandchildren, or perhaps, Lord willing, even great-grandchildren into our lives. We dream of climbing the ladders, the company ladder, the social ladder, the academic ladder, perhaps. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes is inspired to warn us that life will be far more of a roller coaster than we expect. Yes, there may be highs, moments in which we do get to to achieve our, our goals or our dreams But there will also be lows, moments when goals go unmet, dreams go unfulfilled. If we think life is going to involve constant progress and growth, 
Or if we simply think that our lives should involve constant progress and growth, if, if God truly loves us and cares for us, well, then we are sadly mistaken. Sometimes life is two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's one step forward, three steps back. Now, the preacher, he warns us in our text that life is going to involve all sorts of different seasons, different times in which different things dominate how our life is going. Some of these things we will probably enjoy. Some of these we will not. Some of these will strike us as, as good things or as blessings. Others will strike us as evil things or curses. Just like the turning of the seasons in a year from, from winter to spring to summer to fall. So the seasons of our lives are going to change regardless of what we desire or what we will. These things are ultimately in the hands of God. So the best we might do, the wisest thing we might do, beloved, is to learn to anticipate them, appreciate them, recognizing that God uses such things to accomplish His loving plans for us. Beloved, I proclaim God's Word as it comes to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, using this theme, for everything there is a season. Let us first be anticipating the seasons of life. Second, appreciating the seasons of life. Life doesn't always go according to plan. And to assume that it will would actually be a, an act of arrogance on our part. We might think of what we read in the, the letter of James when James tells us, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Oh, simply assuming that, that we will get to, to live to, to any given age. Simply assuming that we will get to experience tomorrow or another year of life is actually somewhat presumptuous on our part. Now, people, they die in freak accidents every day. Car crashes, brain aneurysms, drownings, drive-by shootings, exposure to, to smoke or fire or cold... These things can unexpectedly end lives in minutes or, or seconds. And we as mere human beings, we really don't know what tomorrow will bring with regard to, to life itself, let alone anything we might experience. The preacher, he, he reminds us of us, telling us in verse 1 of our text, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Then he goes on to mention 28 different seasons arranged into to 14 opposing pairs. 
with these seasons, he covers a, a huge range of, of human experiences, addressing everything from the, the start and the end of life and a wide range of activities that we might undertake and a wide range of emotions that we might experience during those things. And I'm not going to go through all of these seasons one by one in the sermon But I would encourage all of you to to take some time later on in this week to consider each one and its significance. But instead, at this time, I would like us to consider what the preacher is trying to accomplish with this list, this poem which he presents to us. And what we might see is that he's preparing us for the future, that future which is in truth outside of our control. Now, the preacher, he doesn't give us instructions for, for when it's a good time to plant or, or when we should cast away stones or, or when we should keep silent. He doesn't tell us when it's the, the right time to build up or laugh or lose or, or cast away. He's not trying to instruct us how to act in these seasons or, or make the most of them. He's simply saying These seasons are coming. These seasons will happen in life. See, we ought to recognize in advance that life will include such things. For as the saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. If we have this expectation that that life should should simply get better and better as time marches on, we are going to be sorely disappointed when God sends crises our way and lets things go awry. But if we recognize in advance that, that life will have different seasons, it makes them far easier to accept And also take advantage of when they occur. Consider, for example, that there is a time to lose. Or a time to give up looking for a a lost item. can serve as a good reminder that sometimes things get lost. People misplace things. Young children especially can misplace things. Now, if your child should, should lose something, it might make sense to go looking for it for a time. But at a certain point, now the time you spend looking for that item might not be worth the effort. There can be a time to lose. There is also a time to, to throw away. You know, it might be worth it to, to put money into repairing an old car if it's going to allow it to, to still run for a good time longer. But at a certain point, it's time to cast it away. Send it to the wreckers. Now, the money put into it just won't be worth it. Or perhaps more seriously, we might consider how we are told there is a time to mourn. It's good for us to remember when a loved one passes away. Reminds us that it's okay to take time to mourn. To experience a a season of life in which grief is our dominant emotion. 
We don't have to always have a a stiff upper lip. We don't have to to get over things quickly so that we can go back to, to appearing happy. We don't have to pretend that we aren't grieving because someone else might be uncomfortable with the fact that we are devastated for a season of life. When we find ourselves in a time to mourn, we should mourn. Or when others around us are mourning, we should mourn with them. As it says in Romans 12 verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now knowing that such times will come, anticipating their arrival, we're better prepared to to respond appropriately. Knowing that things don't last forever, we're better able to to handle things when they fall apart. To accept that sometimes we need to, to move on with our lives. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, he he forces us to recognize that we are not in ultimate control of the future. Things we do not hope for will happen. It's good for us to recognize that even though God loves us and cares for us, even though he should look upon us as his adopted children in Jesus Christ, He will still send seasons which will be marked by death or killing or mourning or loss or hate or war. It won't always be a season to to build up, embrace, keep, love, or, or make peace. As Christians, we should be prepared for for hard circumstances, for times in which we suffer. We should also be prepared for times in which we will need to be comforted. The Apostle Paul, he writes in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. It's important for us to to recognize that our faith in Jesus Christ, our connection with him through the Holy Spirit, does not mean that God will not allow us to suffer. It does not mean he will not allow us to have hard seasons. It doesn't mean that guaranteed good times are ahead. Instead, our knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ that faith that he gave up his life for our salvation, that, that knowledge that he loves us so much that he was willing to suffer and die for us, that knowledge helps us to, to react in both the good and the bad seasons that God will send. The knowledge is meant to equip us to glorify God in all those seasons. To a degree, you, you might say, that what the preacher is doing in Ecclesiastes is teaching us to to go with the flow. To realize that that life will rarely go as we plan, 
But that's okay. We can be content despite that because we know the one who is truly in charge of all things. We know God the Father who created this world and rules over it by his hand. We know his son, Jesus Christ, who has been placed now over all things, given a name above every name, and who is now controlling and directing all things for the good of his church. Now, many of us are not good at glorifying God in the hard times, in the undesirable times. Perhaps that's due in part because of how comfortable our our first world lives often are. Free as they are for the most part from things like famine or epidemics or, or wars. Things which regularly rock the lives of people living in poorer countries around the world. Now numerous sociologists and psychologists and pastors and counselors... They've remarked that those of us living in prosperous first world nations find it increasingly difficult to cope with even minor setbacks. We don't seem to be able to handle the fact that life doesn't always go the way that we want. We see this as a great injustice against us. We might suspect that at least part of our problem is that we've forgotten to anticipate suffering. We've forgotten to anticipate the hard times, the difficult seasons. We assume that everything will go our way. We forget that it is often in challenges and sufferings that we will most grow and develop. We forget that it is often in the less desirable seasons of life that God most radically transforms us and forces us to grow by his Holy Spirit. We forget that sometimes the less desirable seasons are the ones that are truly the best for us. And sometimes we forget that the good seasons which we desire are not always the good thing we imagine. Now, we might think of seasons of, of financial prosperity as a, a time of blessing, but, but James, he warns those who are rich, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. They were prosperous, but their prosperity was not necessarily the result of of right living before God. They might have thought, the rich that is, that they were in a, a good season of life, one in which things were going their way. But James warns them that this good season was not indeed a good thing. Sometimes it is in our own good seasons, beloved, that we must be most on guard, most thinking, are we truly living in gratitude and service of God? Or in this good time, are we simply living for ourselves and what we want? Sometimes we need to anticipate that seasons of comfort, prosperity, and success can be ones which lead us astray from relying upon our Lord. 
doing his will, doing what he has called us to do for his glory. This brings us to our second point, appreciating the seasons of life. The preacher we've seen, he teaches us to anticipate various seasons of life, to to see them coming and be prepared for it. But he also goes further. He encourages us to appreciate these seasons as well. And his book of Ecclesiastes, the the preacher, he he hasn't forgotten his overall message that everything is, is vanity. He refers back to this when he says, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? Now, the the preacher's perspective, I'm saying, that that work is vanity, that the the rewards of work are ultimately vanity, hasn't changed. But he has something to add to that. He tells us, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So the preacher is willing to to say throughout this book, you know, all is vanity. Everything is in the long run kind of meaningless and and empty. But everything can also be seen as beautiful in its time. It might seem like a contradiction, but if you really think about it, it's not. Not. Consider a a beautiful painting, for example. On the one hand, you might say a a beautiful painting doesn't really have any any lasting value. It's something that's just going to to break down over time. You might say it just kind of sits there up on a wall and it's not particularly useful for any other purpose in in the long run. That doesn't mean it isn't necessarily beautiful. Something to be appreciated in the moment. You might say that a a delicious meal, for example, may have no more nutritional value than than a bland one. But that doesn't mean we can't appreciate the the momentary joy of of eating something that's been perfectly cooked or or well-seasoned. Similarly, it's true that our lives on this earth will one day come to an end. The things that we have done will ultimately be rather empty and and meaningless, probably have very little impact on the, the overall course of human history. And yet there might still be something beautiful about a life that is well lived before God. A life which brings much joy and and peace to those impacted by it. When we read, he has made everything beautiful in its time. We might understand it to mean that there are ways to glorify God in every circumstance or in every season of life. It's not that every season is beautiful in itself. No, death is not beautiful in itself. War is not beautiful in itself. But we can react in beautiful ways to to such seasons. 
There's something beautiful about people responding appropriately to the seasons in which God calls them to live. Consider war, for instance. War is ugly. It is terrible. It is the closest thing we can get to experiencing hell on earth. And yet there is something beautiful And people being willing to go to war, to defend their homelands, their loved ones, their neighbors. There is something beautiful about the soldier who lays down his or her life on the field of battle for the sake of their fellow soldiers or comrades. We read in the the Gospel of John, for instance, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I think we should consider it striking that that the greatest love which might be seen upon the earth is something which is perhaps most often seen on the blood-soaked battlefields of the world. You don't often see people laying down their lives in times of peace, prosperity, but it's often seen in moments of great hardship and conflict and tragedy. Of course, beloved, this is not to say that we shouldn't necessarily struggle with some seasons of life. It's not to say we should be joyful in every season of life. We are limited creatures with limited perspectives on the things that happen to us. As the preacher notes, God has put eternity in there that is man's heart. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. That is to say that we will often fail to understand why God sends this or that season. We'll often fail to to see the benefit of God allowing this or that thing to, to take place. We will struggle to see how the seasons of our lives are meant to prepare us for eternity. And that can be extremely difficult. But while we might struggle, we might also find comfort in the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done. Knowing how he willingly suffered for us. Knowing that he willingly laid down his life for us. Knowing that his love for us is something that is so vast that that the Apostle Paul can tell us that we will struggle to comprehend its its depth or its breadth and its length and its height and its, its depth. Unless the Father work mightily within our hearts by the Holy Spirit, knowing such things We can be content with what comes. The preacher, he tells us, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. There's nothing better for us than to be joyful and do good. This is the best we can hope to possess in this life. It's people who know the love of God as it's been revealed in Jesus Christ, his Son. We have reason for joy regardless of the times in which we were living. 
The preacher tells us that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his toil. It is the gift of God. Something to consider as we endure our present circumstances. Do we recognize the blessings which remain? Do we recognize how blessed we are just to be able to to eat and drink every day? Will we continue to reflect on all the reasons we have for for thankfulness and gratitude? Reasons both spiritual and, and material during this time of restrictions and lockdown? Will we rejoice and express our gratitude for what we have been given in Jesus Christ? What we have been given from the Father's hand? And will we strive to make the most of this season? The preacher tells us in the verses 14 and 15, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been, that which is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. God, he, he leads and directs these seasons of our lives in order to lead us to himself. He directs history so that countless people experience different seasons of life Doing it in order that that sinful humanity, which was once driven from the Garden of Eden, from his very presence, might be prepared to one day appear before him and get to, to dwell with him once more on account of what Jesus Christ has done. See, God has done things that we might be in fear or awe, reverence, before him. We go through all these different times in life, each one ultimately meant to point us to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and remind us that in him we are to find what we need. In him we are to find the source of joy which can never be taken from us. In him we find the reason for thankfulness. In seasons both good and bad. In moments where we feel both blessings and and curses. The text reminds us that there's a time for, for every season. We face all these seasons, beloved. And the comfort which Jesus Christ provides. And the sure knowledge that God our Father is watching over us. Amen.